This is the Bill Kelly Show podcast. It's been a busy uh, week for Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger. Of course, there's the prayer breakfast earlier and then a kind of a mini town hall that he had himself, as a matter of fact, uh, at breakfast uh, just yesterday. And among many questions was, uh, are you going to run in the next election? And the answer was in the affirmative. Yes, he will be. Uh, much work still to be done, as uh, he said to that, told the the audience there. So I want to bring the mayor on to talk a little bit about that. Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger joins us here on the Bill Kelly Show on CHML. Good morning, Mr. Mayor. How are you doing today? Good morning, Bill. May the, uh, the fourth be with you. Uh, oh, yeah, that too. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Star Wars uh, fanatics going crazy here. Yeah, Listen, let me, I, I don't know if you intended, I, I know this was in response to a, a question that you got at your, your session the other day, but uh, I don't know if you're actually ready to announce this, but uh, it's out there right now that you're running for re-election. Talk to us about the, the thought process here. Well, you know, uh, uh, Connie uh, Smith had uh, free reign to ask whatever she wanted uh, during our session at the uh, Chamber uh, chamber Annual Mayor's Breakfast, and the question was, are you, uh, are you, uh, you know, contemplating running again? And the answer is yes, and uh, and I am uh, seriously uh, going to be running again. I'm uh, I'm committed to uh, to this great city, and I think there's uh, lots of things that we need to uh, to finalize and get finished. And LRT, uh, not not the, the least of them, uh, waterfront development, uh, you know, multiple year budgeting, and certainly we're on a, a good track in terms of how we're managing our budgets and still making the kinds of investments that we need to make to uh, to make our city uh, better. So I think we're on a great course, and uh, I want that to continue. In, in fairness, this is a pretty exciting time for the city, isn't it? There are a lot of things, a lot of stuff on the plate right now. Uh, it's huge. Uh, you know, so, uh, you know, one of the worries about uh, the LRT issue and whether or not we went forward or not was, uh, you know, stopping the momentum. And uh, the momentum is real. Uh, we have great alignment uh, in the community. We've put a lot of effort into working with our major institutions, McMaster, Mohawk, the school boards, um, uh, Hamilton Health Sciences. Uh, you know, we're all coming together and, and working towards a kind of common agenda. And uh, that is uh, that is the way that uh, communities transform themselves, and we're still in the kind of transformative stage. Although we're on a very nice up curve, uh, we're still, you know, trying to work our way out of that post-industrial, uh, uh, you know, hit that we had, and the loss of industry that uh, came to us, uh, you know, a number of years ago. And we're still working through that, and now we're seeing that commercial industrial tax base starting to move in the, a positive direction. So. We're, we're uh, I think, taking the right steps, uh, the right initiatives, the uh, the outreach into uh, you know other parts of the world and looking for new opportunities to uh, to get Hamilton on a, a much stronger path, and that's happening right now. The uh, the danger, obviously, is to to think that we can just uh, put this thing in cruise control and just coast because these things are all underway. LRT is underway. There's a funding commitment for that right now. Uh, it seems as if the waterfront development is going along pretty well so far, although there's still some some major things that have to be done there. What what do you look like? I know you don't want to start campaigning now, and, and as a matter of fact, you can't even register, but, I mean, the intention is there. What would you look for in a second term, uh, uh, as well as these projects, which are already underway? What do you want to see happen? Well, I mean, I think I think it really is building on the uh, the work that we're doing. You know, we're, we're doing uh, great work with McMaster University on uh, innovation and Social innovation spaces uh, like the Forge and uh, the, the uh, location of the Cotton Center for the Arts. I think we continue to nurture that kind of uh, retooling of some of our older industrial buildings into social innovation space. I think is the uh, the kind of next steps that we want to get to to do more of that and uh, create that entrepreneurial spirit, which is already happening in Hamilton in a big way. 
continue to work on the cultural capacity of our city, the, the music and the arts that attract people to come here, and it's happening, uh, that also then attracts uh, businesses to, uh, to locate here. And then, uh, and lastly, a, a stronger and more uh, more aggressive drive on finding commercial industrial uh, employers that uh, can provide employment uh, going into the future. And you know, one of the areas that we're currently focused on is the U.S. steel lands, and uh, they provide a uh, an imminent uh, opportunity if we can land it in the right way for uh, future employment uh, opportunities on shovel-ready land. And so uh, that opens up the door to a lot of opportunities for industries and businesses to come here and provide future employment. So those are areas that uh, that need work, and we're working on uh, currently, but they need continuity, and we're going to continue to work on those. Uh, you know, heading into the next uh, into the next term of council with council. And you know what? I, I've said this many times. Probably the best council that I've uh, I, I've had the pleasure of serving on, notwithstanding the occasional hiccup here and there. Uh, but coming out with, uh, I think, the right outcomes, uh, specifically on LRT, but also on a whole range of other issues that uh, are putting our city in a good position to succeed into the future. Let me ask you about the Stelco lands, because I know that you've expressed some skepticism about the potential uh, deal with Bedrock here. And, and uh, just to, to you know, give the 10-second thumbnail version of this, obviously, Please. those lands will be put into a land trust, uh, hopefully sold, uh, and the money would, would obviously, some of it would go to the city, obviously for other things like the pension fund, et cetera. But uh, there's there's a lot of money at stake here as far as the city is concerned here, uh, Mr. Mayor. And and, yeah. and and I know that if that's not maximized, then uh, it's not going to be viewed as a very good deal for the pensioners nor for the city. Uh, how do you go forward on this? Are you going to be at the table talking about this with the province and, and with the other folks involved in this deal? Because, I mean, let's face it, you've got a lot of skin in the game here. Well, absolutely, and we've been uh, very engaged in this process, both with the uh, provincial government and the federal government, and uh, we continue to make the case that uh, a short-term five-year fire sale approach uh, isn't going to create the kind of value that is uh, long-lasting in terms of employment or for tax benefits for the city of Hamilton, and is clearly not going to provide the uh, the, uh, the revenue stream that uh, will help keep the pensioners whole. So we're we're advocating for a longer 25-year plan that uh, maximizes the value. Uh, right now, the value is deemed to be zero because of the uh, the uh, environmental contamination that has to be dealt with. So there are a lot of complications. And, you know, to try and sell this off in five years and not generate the kind of dollars that are going to be required for future future pension benefits for the pensioners, I think, is a, is a, is a tragedy. And I think that uh, the province is coming around to that conclusion. We keep working with them to convince them that, uh, that they, a longer-term play with a very organized strategic direction in terms of how these lands are put on market, I think, is, a, is the right approach. And, you know, in the short term, uh, there are opportunities for, for leasing out some of those lands and getting new businesses started there on the short term. But to, uh, to sell them off and uh, not get the kind of value that uh, they could have if we, uh, we do this right, uh, I think is going to be a disservice for not only our community, but for the many thousands of pensioners that are uh, counting on their benefits uh, being uh, extracted out of the value of this land. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, I, I don't want to get into the arguments for and against LRT. I, I'd like to think that we can set that behind us, although I get a sneaking suspicion it's going to rear up again at some point in the future. 
But yeah. there are related stories and related uh, concerns, I guess, about the construction, et cetera. And I'm going to talk with Kenan Loomis about that in a couple of minutes, about their plan. But what about the city's plan to try to deal with those that are going to be uh, uprooted and in some cases inconvenienced, obviously, because of the construction itself? And, and, and again, I don't want to get into the anti-LRT thing because this is road construction and it's going to happen no matter what. Yeah, so uh, I mean, t- traditionally we uh, we are very active and better today than uh, we've ever been in terms of uh, managing the business impacts of any road reconstruction that happens across the city. So you know, examples of that are Concession Street or you know the Centennial Parkway that was done recently. You know, all of those businesses uh, predominantly stayed where they were, and they they had full access to people uh, wanted to get to them, even though they might have to go over a bit of a gravelly road. They uh, the accesses were all left open. So uh, that's our challenge, and uh, certainly we, that's uh, first and foremost in the minds of uh, the, our, our LRT team and uh, Metrolinx is, uh, is making sure that we manage that process very, very effectively and ensure that these businesses can s- sustain themselves, survive, and, and be accessible to uh, people that want to get to them. And then, uh, you know, the help and assistance of the, uh, the Chamber of Commerce, who are advocates for business, I think is going to be uh, be vital, as well as working with the BIAs uh, that are going to be impacted by this. So this this it's going to be a multi-agency approach to ensure that we do everything humanly possible to minimize the disruption and maximize the opportunity for businesses to stay right where they are. But you've heard the call and from some of the the businesses that hey we 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 want a reduction in our taxes, we need some financial help, etc. Uh, is 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 that on the table? Is that something the, the city might consider? Uh, you know, the, the, traditionally we don't do financial help or assistance, and I, I you know, I think this is again, this is a Metrolinx provincial project, so I don't, I don't want to pass the buck, but I don't think that that's particularly on. But putting money and resources into, you know, pr- promotion through the BIAs and uh, advertising and uh, letting people know that uh, these businesses are not closed, that they're fully open and accessible, uh, helping them with wayfinding signs, I mean, all kinds of other ways that. Uh, Resources can be put into ensuring that businesses can continue to uh, to uh, survive. There is uh, is what's going to happen. I think uh, compensation not very likely, other than uh, compensation for uh, you know expropriation that's required for for you know widening of roads, etc. So that uh, that's traditionally what happens. I don't think that's going to vary much, but uh, certainly significant resources will be put into ensuring that uh, that access is maintained that people are aware that business is ongoing and not uh, not stopping and not ceasing and desisting, and that we encourage people through, in partnership with the BIAs and the Chamber, to continue to uh, to, to frequent their favorite uh, locations along the, uh, the entire corridor. There invariably will be other folks, I'm sure, that are going to register to, to run for the mayor's position, but uh, since uh, you have declared your intention to run for re-election right now, uh, are you anticipating uh, a challenge uh, from, well, uh, for instance, the last uh, election in which you were elected, of course, two members of city council actually uh, mm-hmm. stepped aside from their seats and ran for the top job as well. Are you an- anticipating a, a competitive race this year? Uh, you know, it's always competitive, I would assume so. I mean, I'm uh, I'm not uh, in the minds of anyone else that's considering doing this. So, uh, you know what, uh, it, everyone's entitled to uh, to take their shot at uh, any of the elected positions that are uh, available throughout the city, subject to them being uh, 18 years of age or older and, uh, and uh, a resident of the city of Hamilton. So I'm not uh, going to presuppose who is, who is and who isn't. Uh, all I'm going to decide on is what, I think, what I'm going to do, 
and uh, what what everyone else does is something that uh, I can't manage or nor nor orchestrate. So we'll see what happens. There was a some criticism in the past, and you've heard this before, Mr. Mayor, about uh, your ability, or some would suggest inability, to to build consensus and to work with council. And there, there are some councillors that have suggested that you, you kind of do your own thing. You're a lone wolf, and you're not working necessarily with council uh, and informing council about what's going on. You heard that in your last term. You've certainly heard it from a few of the councillors this time around. How do you respond to that? Well, I mean, I can't, uh, I can't judge uh, why why people uh, make those kinds of comments. I mean, I've I've uh, made a point of uh, collaborating not only with members of council but with the community at large and with uh, with our major institutions, with our school boards. Uh, we've got a better relationship with our school boards than we've ever had because we put time and effort into working with the leadership there to uh, get onto uh, joint efforts that uh, are going to work better for all of us. Uh, as, as you know partnership with McMaster University and the great work that's happening there. And again, it's a, an alignment between the city and uh, something that uh, I and the uh, city manager have nurtured in a very, very progressive way and uh, and working with members of council. And uh, I know I spend a lot of time talking to members of council about uh, various, uh, various issues that are coming to the table. And uh, my door is always open, always has been. Uh, so I, I think in, in, some, uh, in some sense or another, it's uh, sour grapes over issues that we've disagreed on. Or, uh, I, mean, I, can't, uh, I mean, I can't surmise why they would continue to lay that label on me. I, uh, I put a real strong effort onto ensuring that uh, I have a conversation with just about everyone that uh, is going to be helpful in uh, moving our city forward. So I, uh, I'm going to continue to do that, and uh, if people want to characterize my... Uh, strong position on LRT as being a lone wolf. I, I just can't agree with that. Uh, this has been a long, long and uh, arduous journey that uh, certainly wasn't uh, totally totally driven by me. Uh, this was council uh, making collective decisions on how we're going to move forward. And I know some people will uh, not like that direction. And I'm like you. Uh, I hope that once a decision is made, we get on board. Let me ask you about one other thing, which could be a wild card in this whole thing. It's a, it's a year and a half until the or the municipal election, but there will be a, a provincial election before that. Are you concerned uh, about what might happen there and the impact it could have on commitments being made to Hamilton already? If LRT comes to mind right off the bat. There may or may not be a change of government. We have no way of knowing that, but if there is, it could have implications. Yeah, no, and uh, and uh, certainly on LRT, we've heard from uh, all of the other party leaders. Andrea Horvath has uh, made her full commitment to uh, to LRT and uh, would honor the commitment. Uh, I've, we've heard the same from Patrick Brown, who is the uh, leader of the Conservative Party. Uh, and uh, you know what? I'm uh, I'm I'm as mayor nonpartisan on this, but uh, I would say that the uh, the province, the current leadership, of the province has also said that they are fully committed to their transit initiatives, not only in Hamilton but right across the province. And so uh, we'll see what the election brings. But uh, from from that major perspective, I think, uh, you know, Hamilton is in good shape. Uh, I don't have any worry that uh, that this is going to be undone by the province. Uh, the only thing that uh, could, could have us fail on this is if we uh, trip on issues ourselves. Final question for you. i got about 30 seconds yep. left here. Uh, let's talk about the history of this. And I mentioned this on my commentary the other day. Uh, Hamilton has not re-elected a mayor since 1997, and there's been a variety of reasons why not. Uh, some were defeated, some did not run for re-election, etc. But what's what's going on here? Does it, does that impact your decision to do this? 
Uh, no, not really. I mean, uh, you know, what the, this uh, whether whether I want to do this work and uh, continue on is certainly a personal decision, and you know, you, you weigh all the factors, and it's not, uh, you know, I want to be the only mayor that's gotten elected uh, successively after 2000. That's certainly not an issue. Uh, I care about the city. I, I'm, I'm passionate about the work we're doing, and uh, we're really on a good path, and we want to ensure that it keeps going. So, uh, you know, all those other, uh, you know, superfluous issues, uh, you know, is not something that uh, I spend a whole lot of time thinking about. Uh, I think it really is about where are we going, uh, how are we going to get there, and uh, and who wants to participate in uh, making that happen. And uh, I'm just indicating that I'm uh, ready and willing, and if the, the voters are are uh, are ready and willing as well, then I'm uh, eternally grateful. And uh, so far, it's been an honor and privilege to serve. Uh, always has been, and uh, I'm uh, delighted with the direction that we're taking. And uh, if I can be a part of keeping that going, I'm, uh, I'll be happy to do it. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. Well, the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce is hosting a four-part seminar series about business preparedness and how to survive the four-year construction of the LRT. Uh, they're going to look at different strategies and uh, try to offer some assistance, as we were just talking about with Mayor Eisenberger. Joining us to talk about this is Keenan Loomis, who, of course, is the uh, president and CEO of the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Bill. Good morning. Excellent. Are you running for mayor? I'm just asking everybody today. <laughs> no, absolutely no, not. No, not doing it? Okay. No. You got Fred's your, doing a great job. Your plate's full. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I'm happy to help. Okay. He, he asked for people to help. Yes. And I totally raised my hand high on that one for sure. Well, uh, I know that you had serious concerns. You've been on the program many times talking about the LRT issue. Uh, and uh, are you uh, comfortable now that, that we're going to move forward on this? I, I mean, we've certainly a lot of hurdles yet to, to, to overcome here when it comes to this. But do you get the sense now that council is going to finally be behind this? Well, I have a better feeling now on LRT than I have at any point since I arrived in the city in 2009. So uh, absolutely, I think that... Uh, you know, as I joked at the mayor's breakfast yesterday morning, uh, a week ago, you know, Wednesday, um, we had no idea what the, what the feeling would be like at the uh, at the mayor's breakfast. Would it be, you know, would it, would we be breathing a sigh of relief, or would we be, you know, at a funeral? And um, and in fact, uh, it it actually turned out even better than that because you know, and I give great credit to. Uh, to Chad Collins on this. I think he really changed the whole course of what the next year looks like. My, my, I was hopeful, obviously, that LRT would pass, or the EA would pass last week, but my concern was that we would still be fighting uh, over the, the next year. Um, and it's been, it was exhausting to, to do this over the last few months. I couldn't imagine the next year. And, and I, you know, I was talking about how, how so much time, unproductive time, was going to saving the project um, over the last few months that we weren't able to focus on implementation. And now I think with, with Chad saying, look, obviously this is going to pass and, and we now need to make sure, recognize number one, that we're past the point of no return, and number two, that we've got to do the best job possible. And so, you know, that's exactly what we're focused on. So I, I really give great credit to uh, to Councillor Collins on that. Uh, Councillor Whitehead, obviously, um, you know, he, he created in his scrutiny so much leverage um, it, on this project that we were able to actually get a better deal. And so, you know, I, I, I think he should be uh, certainly praised for that. And I also uh, yesterday was uh, able to uh, praise uh, uh, Councillor Vanderbeek of Dundas, who did uh, an, an incredible job uh, last week. And she talked about how, you know, we if, if we're in doubt, 
let's uh, default to the side of progress. And she really made a strong statement there. So I thought with all of that happening, with the mayor's leadership, with, with Ted McMeekin's leadership, with Councillor Ferguson still being um, firmly on board uh, of this project, um, I am very, very optimistic at this point in time. And like I said, we can focus now on implementation. And and like you say, the way, we're not going to do this with the rose-colored glasses on. I mean, you'll, we'll go through the process eyes wide open, and there are going to be some, mm. some questions asked and some, some things that need to be done and, and some tough decisions still to come. But as long as, as you're focused, you know, the, the old line from Winston Churchill, if you're going through hell, keep moving, keep going, don't stop. Uh, and I think that's the message that we got from council last week. Yeah, I think no matter what the hurdles are, uh, whatever they may be in the future, I think that they're going to be very small and, and things that we will be able to work out. I know that that's exactly what Councillor Ferguson said last week. And, you know, I trust him on this more than anybody else because he's been there before. He knows this stuff. And there's a reason why he's for this project. And he knows that on every single construction project, there are a lot of unknowns between now and then until the very moment that we're riding that very first train uh, up and down King Street. And I, I look forward to that day in 2024. But there will be a lot of work between now and then, not just in, in the next year. But obviously, we have to get uh, the entire city prepared for the next uh, five to seven years. And so, uh, you know, that's what we were able to do uh, yesterday at the mayor's breakfast. It's time to pivot towards uh, the future and building this project. All right. And the chamber's taking a hands-on approach to that. Let's talk about these uh, these series of seminars that you're going to be doing. Yeah. So, you know, we have obviously been very busy over the last number of months on LRT, uh, but there's so much other stuff that we've been working on. and, And I give great credit to my team uh, who has been working with uh, the Metrolinx team uh, and the LRT project team over the last number of months. Again, while all this stuff has been going on, we have been focused on uh, implementation because that was the last direction given by council. And so thankfully, um, you know, everything's turned out well. And, and because of all that work, we have the ability to announce, had the ability to announce last uh, yesterday at the mayor's breakfast, that we are launching this four-part business preparedness series, um, a program that's uh, been worked on with the BIAs um, and, uh, again, with the LRT project staff. And we've been looking at certainly uh, doing a lot of research on the best practices in terms of how we survive um, the, the impacts of construction. And so there are a lot of lessons learned. Um, the very first part of the series uh, will be on June 6th. And we have what we'll be doing is just kind of level setting everybody's expectations. Here's the broad picture of of what you need to expect uh, over the last number of years, over the next number of years um, as construction happens. Uh, Here's some of the things we need to be thinking about. And then uh, we will get into greater details in subsequent um, uh, sessions in September, uh, then through the fall and uh, into um, probably into January of, of next year as well. How do you? How do you intend to actually offer some assistance, though? I mean, let's face it. I've talked to a number of people, and I know you have, uh, that own businesses, uh, some of them along the route, some not, that are very concerned about the impact that it's going to have. And we've seen this, Keenan, even with the construction of of Concession Street, the reconstruction of Concession Street uh, that closed the street down. Uh, They always tend to run long. I mean, they rarely, these these reconstructions are rarely done on time and on budget. There's always going to be something they find when they start digging holes, etc., and it's a major inconvenience. Uh, is there a plan B that, that, that the, the chamber is working on with the city now 
to try to say, listen, you're still going to have access, uh, customers can still come, or is it just, you know, suck it up, buttercup, and just deal with it? I mean, there's, there's got to be some middle ground here. These people are really looking for some answers. Yeah, well, you know, and, and we will be able to provide all the answers to all of those issues over the course of uh, the next five to seven years, as I said. So this is just phase one, and this is just about making sure that everybody has the right expectations uh, going into this project. And, you know, it is survivable. Uh, KW had only two businesses uh, go out of business because of uh, the construction result, uh, uh, construction impacts. Everybody was, of course, impacted. Um, but, and, and, but what we were able to find out, and, and this has happened, uh, this has been testimony from other, um, other big uh, construction projects as well. You look at Concession Street. You know, business can actually grow as well over the course of this time. And uh, so the... Again, this is the business preparedness series. What we will then have in, in phase two and, and phases three and, and four and five and, and et cetera will be a greater focus on uh, marketing and communications uh, and branding and a shop the corridor program. And then obviously, uh, you know, we're going to have to implement uh, the, the best communications practices possible as well to make sure that uh, all during the project, we are able to, to communicate thoroughly with every single impacted uh, business or citizen within Hamilton. Uh, we also have to be mindful of the fact that there are 25,000 people that work in downtown Hamilton, uh, all of whom are going to be impacted at one point or another uh, during construction as well. So there's many, many facets to this, but these are all very, very manageable uh, issues. And, uh, and then, like I said, we're all, you know, this gives us the opportunity <clears throat> over the next few years, and I'm really excited about this. This gives us the opportunity to demonstrate the, the creativity, the resiliency, and the right attitude possible to get through to the, to the other side of this project, when in 2025, I predict, everybody will say they were for this all along. Well, it, it's, it's going to be tough, and, and I think people understand that. They maybe don't even have a, a full comprehension as to how tough it's going Not to yet. be. And I'm always apprehensive uh, when when they start talking about how many things went out of business, et cetera, because when we had the uh, regional chair uh, ceiling on to, from uh, Waterloo Region, and of course they're going through this right now, and they talked about the the businesses. I think it was a net loss of two because some came, but that that's and again I'm I'm, I'm not a business person myself. I don't own that business, but that's the circle of life. I mean, businesses come and go. I mean, on Wilson Street in Ancaster a few years ago, it was shut down for most of the summer. And, and and a couple of places did go out of business. I don't know if they were in trouble before the construction or not. You don't really know that because, uh, you know, restaurants come and go, other businesses come and go in situations like that. But, you know, for people that are sinking their livelihood into this right now, even a drop of 20 or 30 percent in business could make or break that business. And you, you, this is, I think, the concern they're going to bring to the table and said, what can you guys do here? Uh, is is it going to be detours? Is it going to be routes? I mean, even uh, the construction that's going on in Ancaster now, up on the the far end of Wilson Street, uh, it's a daytime construction. I mean, in the, on the weekends, it's open. You can still get through there and get up to the Canadian Tire and the, the Walmart and all those other stores up there too. So you, I think there's going to have to be a discussion with the city here about, okay, how can you make this the least uh, impactful to these people and at least maybe still have some access at some time of the day, depending on exactly what phase, I guess, the construction is undergoing. Yeah, access will, will definitely be a challenge. That'll be the biggest challenge uh, for sure. Um, but, a- again, this is all something that can be managed. And I know that all of, of the, the various stakeholders in the project will be coordinating very well 
Um, you know, Metrolinx is doing this right now in Eglinton, and I think they're doing a, a pretty good job of it. Like I said, there's a lot of lessons to be learned from other communities, and, and that's what we're doing and in, in tapping into this specific part of it, which is helping the businesses understand uh, and prepare for the impacts. And then, like, like we said, we will be working on, uh, you know, uh, helping them understand the need for uh, CRM systems and uh, customer lists and other strategies, uh, so benefits of social media, um, online retail experiences, all of that. So there's all kinds of things that we can do. We're This is the one thing that we're doing. Obviously, it's the traffic department and, and Metrolinx and the company that's going to be building the project have their own uh, work cut out for them for sure. But uh, I think that there will be active communication between all of all of the parties, and uh, you know, we'll get through this. It, it will require active management, but we can do this. I, I know that we've talked from the political level about, for instance, in KW, what was going on. Uh, has there been discussion between yourself and and the uh, the chamber up there about the impact that it had, and and how people were able to deal with it in that project? Yes, yes. There's been discussion uh, with the KW chamber. Um, the KW Chamber hasn't been as active on this as as we have. Um, they've been supportive of the project overall, and, and they, they're certainly happy that they now have uh, light rail transit within uh, their community. But it was, um, in particular, we learned a lot from the Uptown Waterloo BIA. Uh, and Patty Brooks is the executive director there, and she came to speak with our LRT task force um, I think it was around a year ago, and share their stories and 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 their um, uh, all the measures that they undertook to uh, to help mitigate the impact. She she told us that you know some businesses actually have uh, achieved greater sales as a, as a result because you know the the corridor became a heck of a lot more walkable. <laughs> you know, and people in the surrounding neighborhoods don't forget there's going to be you know how many how many tens of thousands of people work and and, and live in the downtown. You know, we're all going to be here still, and we're all going to be – we're going to have to be very mindful, however, of where our dollars are spent. And, and that whole public awareness uh, program is uh, is in a subsequent phase uh, as well. It's a different animal, though. And, again, you always have to be cognizant of that, that it's not an apples-to-apples comparison. If you look at their K, uh, KW project – and what we're proposing to do here in Hamilton, it's a, it's it's a different part of town. Uh, it's it's uh, different characteristics altogether. Yeah, well, you have to understand that you know downtown businesses have been relying upon the downtown market all along. You know that's what got got businesses through the '80s and, and '90s and into now. And and now we are seeing more people coming from the mountain and from Ancaster and and, and what have you. Um, to come to our you know restaurants downtown, for example, and we are going to have to tap into that and say, look, folks, you know, don't avoid the downtown because of this. In fact, uh, you know, the businesses downtown need you now more than ever. So you know, but but for the most part, I, I think that we do have. There's obviously enough people that live in the downtown that uh, you know the businesses that are downtown should be able to survive. Yeah, uh, we might have to talk about how do you survive with uh, with a decrease in revenue. But again, the the there is a projected payback once the project is done, and and educating folks. I mean, this is not just a downtown issue. Uh, you know, even if you live in Ancaster or Stony Creek, I mean, there will be occasions when you want to go down to the core. You may want to go to a hockey game or a concert. Uh, we were just at Theater Occurs well, last weekend, yeah. and we hope you do. We hope you do. And in, in, in fact, you know, <laughs> we I want to you know kind of. This this is our civic duty, you know, as as Hamiltonians, to make sure that we don't alter uh, our our routines, that we continue to 
to support all of those interests uh, and those attractions and, and you know, uh, the, the arts community and all that. All of that still needs to be supported. What we just need for you to do is leave the house a little bit earlier. <laughs> And and like I say, we'll establish the alternative routes and and the better way to get down to the theater if that's where you're going or if you're going to an event downtown or just want to shop downtown, whatever the case might be. Uh, if you want to do that, I mean, that's what they call destination shopping. You'll find a way. Yes. I, I really don't think people are going to say, well, you know what? I used to go to so-and-so to buy my shoes. I'm never going to do that again. They, they will. Well, and, and, that's, and that's the whole point here is that the so-and-so that you're buying the shoes from needs to make sure that they're starting that program now in terms of understanding where their customers are coming from and starting to communicate with them now and building that loyalty that will bring those people uh, still to come to your store, uh, but uh, be able to, again, uh, pack a little bit more patience as they do so. Uh, because this is, again, as I say, all of our obligation to make sure that we help those businesses. Is there a process here between you and the city uh, after you have uh, these sessions that you can take some of this information or some of these questions back to the city so they can use that in their planning? Because yeah. obviously they're going to be rolling theirs out around the same time. Totally. So the, the whole, well, we're, we're doing it in concert. And so, you know, Metrolinks will be there. We have no idea what to expect with the first of this. You know, this is, this is all very, very new uh, for this community. Um, and so we will adjust accordingly. We will take all the information and, and feedback we can. Um, and uh, it will be very much, uh, you know, whatever the, the business community in Hamilton needs, uh, we will respond to that. Uh, very quickly, uh, you're going to be busy this weekend. Uh, the chambers, of course, are pretty active in, in what's happening with the, the development. We just had the provincial budget coming out here, and the Ontario Chamber was having their uh, annual meeting uh, just uh, down southwest Ontario. Yeah, so after I'm done talking with you today, uh, I am traveling to Sarnia to participate in the uh, Ontario Chamber of Commerce annual meeting. Uh, so we'll be with all of our colleagues across the province. And uh, what gives me great pleasure this year is that we are uh, going to be hosting the OCC annual meeting Hamilton will be hosting next year. And so as a result, we have a few obligations. we got to host a party on Saturday night to get everybody excited about next year. And uh, so I have the whole team coming. And uh, But, yeah, it's it's always a great gathering to, to be among all of our colleagues across the province. I've uh, been there, done that. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned to you before <laughs> we started, my, my last term on city council when I was uh, chairman of economic development, uh, we were down there uh, with the chamber, of course. Yes. Uh, well, my wife, Rebecca, was the president at right. the time. Uh, because we were hosting it the following year. And those were the bad old days because you had to beg, borrow, and steal to get a conference to come to Hamilton. Yeah. And uh, so we went down there and, and tried to get everybody down there. And by the way, the following year at Hamilton, it was a great success too. And I know this one will be because uh, the timing couldn't be better. No, it Next couldn't. year in 2018, you're going to be hosting the Ontario Chamber Convention here in Hamilton. And and this place is going to be hopping. I mean, the construction. I don't know if it's going. There won't be shovels in the ground, but it's it's going to be ongoing. And there's a lot of other stuff happening downtown. Yeah, we don't have to convince people to uh, to come to Hamilton anymore. Everybody's really excited about uh, the prospect of, of coming next year. Uh, everybody's heard across the province the the renaissance that's happening in Hamilton. Everybody's been to Hamilton you know, 10 years ago, and, and they do remember that for sure. Um, but uh, they know as well that there's a lot of great stuff coming here, uh, going on here. And so they're, in, they're looking forward to coming. And uh, yeah, the, the timing is it's going to be right before the provincial election. Mm -hmm. So we'll have all of the party leaders, they always come. They were, they, 
when this when this uh, event was in Cornwall, every single one of them came. Uh, they will all be in Sarnia as well, and they will all be here in Hamilton uh, as well just before the election. So there will be a lot of intrigue as a result. And that's going to be an exciting time. That's that's next year, but yeah. uh, enjoy the weekend in Sarnia too. That should be wonderful. Uh, and again, that first session about uh, dealing with LRT is when? The first session is June the 6th. You can go to our website. Uh, it is free for all to attend. You don't have to just be a, a retailer on the corridor. This is for all businesses. Uh, really, all businesses in the lower cities should expect uh, to kind of uh, prepare for the impacts. And so uh, everybody is welcome. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. It's time for the Mayor's Town Hall. Burlington Mayor Rick Goldring joins us here in studio. Now, we will open the lines up in just a couple of seconds. If you want to call now and get into the queue, feel free. 905-645-3221, 645 Star 9900 is a toll-free call for you, and you can reach us by email, bkelly at 900chml.com, and of course on Twitter at chmlbillkelly. Your questions, your comments for Burlington Mayor Rick Goldwing uh, to do with uh, Burlington municipal issues, uh, your taxes, uh, where your money's being spent, some of the other projects that are being proposed, lots of stuff to talk about, and uh, we will go to your calls in just a few minutes, and your emails and your tweets as well. Good morning, Mr. Mayor. Good to have you with us today. It is great to be back with you, Bill. Let, let me ask you something. I'm just talking the forecast here. You just heard now that we're going to get more heavy rain. Uh, and, and I could not help you when I knew that you were coming in here today. The first vision I had in my head when I heard about this was uh, the flooding that occurred there a couple of years ago. And, and again, this is Mother Nature uh, playing little tricks on us from time to time. And it was a, a t- catastrophic event for an awful lot of Burlington residents, of course. Uh, you know, the, the good news story is how the community rallied around and everything like that. How does the city prepare for something like this? I mean, obviously, there's, there's only so much you can do. There's only so much capacity uh, when it comes to infrastructure and things of this nature. But when you're dealing with older parts of the city, uh, such as where, you know, this occurred to you a couple of years ago, has, has, there, has there been some work done on that? Do you look to try to, to do what you can to try to mitigate impacts like this? There's been some, certainly some significant work done. I mean, what's, what's come out of it as a result of the analysis that we did at the Halton region uh, with our sanitary sewer system, with the city, with the, uh, the stormwater sewer system, uh, we are investing significant amount of dollars. Uh, at the region and the sanitary sewer system, we went underground and uh, recognizing that there's so much so cross-contamination or infiltration, I should say, of, of uh, stormwater into the sanitary sewer system, uh, we've actually addressed a lot of, of issues in the sanitary sewer system. Um, equally important, though, we've helped people shore up their own homes. And I look at my own home, for example, as a result of what happened in 2014. Yeah, you were one of the victims. We were one of the victims. And we put in, like so many other people did, a backflow valve to stop the water from from backing up into your basement Mm -hmm. via the sanitary sewer system. Uh, We've disconnected our eaves troughs and disconnected the weeping tile. And now we have the... uh, the storm water going away from the house and heading heading to the street, which is where it should go. As a matter of fact, Bill, last night I was actually cleaning out and checking on the, the backflow valve to make sure it's still working and make sure it was clean, recognizing that I know we're going to get between 70 and 100 millimeters of rain uh, between now and Saturday. Um, so that's a significant amount. It's, uh, the good news, it's a, it's a lot of rain and it's spread out over a meaningful period of time, unlike what happened on August the 4th, uh, 2014, uh, when we had 195 millimeters of rain in about a six-hour period. So the, the rain will be spread out over, over a period of time. But people, they need to check their backflow valves. They need to uh, make sure the water coming from their downspouts is, being, is pointed away from the house into the street. 
uh, they have to look at the catch basins in, in front of them on the street and make sure that there's no debris around them, make sure that the, uh, the water can flow into the stormwater system uh, easily. So, and our staff are doing the same thing on a, on a, on a macro scale uh, across the city. So uh, we'll be prepared as best we can for whatever happens. The, uh, the downspill thing is a big deal, isn't it? I mean, that's a big a issue. And I've talked to engineers and they take, it does make a significant difference uh, to have that uh, disconnected and just flowing out into there. And, uh, and, and I know a lot of people still don't do that, uh, especially in some of the older homes, because there was a time years ago uh, when it was okay to do that, just you know, hook it right into the, stu- the sewer system. Well, there's I forget the is, number. Is it of, is it illegal in Burlington now? It's not illegal. We have not we have not implemented a bylaw to make it illegal. But we have an extensive program funded through the region of Halton that will actually pay to have that work done. So there's no good excuse for those people that have their homes. Uh, and, and if they were built up to about 1970-ish or thereabout, or early 70s, the, uh, the downspouts and the weeping tile were automatically connected to the sanitary yeah. sewer system. But we have programs at Halton Region that will pay for those disconnections, that will help you pay for a backflow valve, check your lateral connection between your, your house and, and the street. Um, we got great programs at Halton Region that we need more people to take advantage of. So go to halton.ca and you can find all the different information about the different programs we have to help mitigate the risk in your own home. Yeah, because it's it's your home that's going to be damaged by this. If it happens, by the way, it's going to backflow, and you're going to get stuff in your basement. And and of course, when you're going to let the water run off, uh, you know, obviously put an extension on there so it doesn't just drop into the weeping tile right beside the house. Correct. Correct. And, and and give yourself a little bit of leeway there. Most of the houses, and I'm sure that it's the same in Burlington. I know we they do this in Hamilton as well, especially newer developments. Uh, it's up to the developer to landscape each each particular building lot with certain swales, et cetera, so the water will drain off. And it is supposed to go to the street. What messes it up is when people move into these things and say, no, I want to put a garden here. I want to put this there or something like that. And that messes everything up. So you may still get some pooling, but it's still, I'd rather have it beside the house than in the house. No, exactly, exactly. And now, of course, we have lots of stormwater uh, management ponds uh, in the newer areas of the city to help handle the stormwater and help it drain uh, in an appropriate manner. Uh, all the way down to the lake. Yeah, we've got uh, Nancaster, uh, two or three of them. I was talking to Councillor Ferguson about that, and uh, right on the uh, golf links there, you'll see two of them, and there's another one a little further up as well. Uh, they were lakes the other day when we had that heavy rain, but I said that's doing its job. That's good. Exactly. And, and, you know, that's instead of flooding houses, it's going exactly. into there. All right, let's talk about what's going on in your neighborhood, Mr. Mayor, specifically right across the road from your office. Yeah. Uh, I know that there's a controversial project that's going on there. You've had public meetings about this. Uh, what are you hearing? What's what's happening there? So, you know, it's interesting. I was at the neighborhood meeting that uh, we had at the Art Gallery of Burlington back uh, late March, and there was about 125 or 150 people out to uh, to listen as well as express some opinion as to the validity of that particular uh, development proposal. So I should mention for the listeners that what is being proposed across the street from from uh, Burlington City Hall where Chelly's Restaurant is, uh, there's five actually lots together um, and the developer is proposing a 27-story building in an area that maximum under official plan designation uh, is, is 8 to 12 stories. And so the developer is asking for a significant increase in height and density. Your, your city hall is eight, isn't it? Our city hall is eight stories. Okay, so yeah. just so in their mind's eye, people can see you. You want something that's commensurate with that? 
uh, um, right. And this is 27 compared, yeah. compared to the eight, at least that's the proposal. So we had a public meeting back at the end of our neighborhood meeting at the end of March. We had the statutory public meeting, which took place at uh, council chambers on Monday night um, with a number of people there who expressed uh, different views. What I've, what I've been somewhat surprised about is, is the balance of discussion. Um, that nobody said on Monday night no to any development on that site, to any redevelopment on that site. Uh, I believe that more and more people are really understanding the situation the city of Burlington is in, that we do not have any more room to build out. We do have to build up. Uh, the discussion or the debate in the community is, well, how we do that. But people understand that we have to develop very differently. So the discussion was about the height of the building, and a lot of people would be comfortable with the 12 stories, which is in the official plan for, for most of the site, or 8 to 12 stories. Um, people were uncomfortable, some people were uncomfortable with the, uh, the traffic that could result from this, as well as the parking. The developer is proposing 183 units, and a number of them would be two and three bedrooms, and the developer is proposing one parking spot for every unit. Which you think about, it, if you got a two or three bedroom unit, um, if it's a, just a husband and wife, just two people, you think automatically that brings two cars. That's a contentious issue. When parking it comes to is builds. a huge issue. Par- parking, par- it's amazing how much investment of time and money uh, we have to invest in, in parking. Um, you know, we, we only use our cars about 5% of the time, and the rest of the time they're parked somewhere. They're parked at work, they're parked in shopping malls, uh, they're parked uh, when we go out and visit friends, and they're parked in our driveways. Uh, we're only using them 5% of the time. So you think of all the infrastructure that is required for the cars um, when they're not being used. It is a significant uh, uh, challenge and a significant use of resources. And, and part of that discussion is if, if, in fact, this project goes forward and you've got a, a condo development there, the argument is, well, you probably don't need your car very much because you're right downtown anyway, unless you want to go someplace else. And maybe you want to use public transit. Right. And more millennials that are moving into urban cores in Hamilton and in Burlington right now, uh, a lot of them don't even have cars. So, you know, one of, one of my objectives in the longer term in the city is the average car ownership rate will decline. Over time, now the car dealers get upset with me when I when I when I say that. But I think in Burlington, there's about 1.7 cars per per household, or something like that. And that's a that's a fairly high number oh, yeah. compared to other communities. And so one of the objectives was to to evolve our city in such a way that it makes it easier for more and more people to use alternative forms of transportation. And we have to guide that process. We have to encourage. We have to foster that. And and you know what we need to do and what we are doing is in the developments that are close to the transit areas and close to the GO stations that we put in car share programs. So maybe you can use public transit a lot of the time. You can walk to um, services and, and, and purchase goods, whatever you need uh, a lot of the time. And you can, maybe you can bike some places uh, sometime. But you still need access to a car on occasion. So if we can put in, uh, work with developers and new developments that are close to transit to put in car share programs and um, so that people have the opportunity to use a car very easily and they can pick it up from the underground garage of their condominium development um, and they can they can use a car easily for the big shop to go to Costco or Fortino's or wherever, wherever one goes for groceries and, and goods that they need for their home. That could minimize the need for a second car potentially. So ideally, um, in an ideal world, I think one spot per unit is something to aspire to, or maybe even less than that. I'm not sure if we're there yet. 
No, because I've heard similar debates I've heard in Hamilton here about that very same thing with some of the condo projects that are being developed. And do we really need a one-for-one ratio, parking for for units, et cetera, like that? So uh, you're not the only guys going through this right now. So what, do you, what are you hearing? Uh, because I know people that may not feel comfortable with a 27-story building, but as you've mentioned, you can't go out anymore. Right. You, the, the city's going to grow. We all yeah. know that. Yeah. Uh, there are people who are going to move to Burlington. It's It's a great city, and there's a lot going on there right now. And you want them to live in the, in the downtown core if you can. So right. uh, do you build a 27-story building or do you build two right beside each other that are 12? I mean, how do you, how do you approach this? You know, we're doing a complete review of our downtown planning right now. We, we've got our official plan, draft, our draft official plan that's been released. But also right now concurrently is, uh, is analysis in our four mobility hubs, which is the three GO station areas in Burlington as well as our downtown. And, and – uh, um, so we're, we're doing that analysis right now as, as to where the heights should go, where more density should go in our downtown. I love our downtown. I think we have a nice scale uh, uh, in our downtown, a nice scale of the buildings, a good diversity of buildings. Um, we have a nice urban intimacy, as I like to refer to it, and somehow we need to maintain that. So how does a 27-story uh, building fit in on that corner. What impact would that have? If we actually approve that, what would it have on other areas of the downtown? Would that mean that automatically um, other developers could ask for that on other major intersections in our downtown? Our downtown core area, you know, south of Caroline, I would say, um, really is not all that big. So really the opportunities for tall buildings are, are, are relatively limited. So we want to make sure that we don't squander the opportunity. We don't underdevelop. Uh, we want to make sure we don't overdevelop, however we define that as well. So we want to make sure that we develop uh, uh, appropriately and we maintain that walkability. We enhance that walkability. We can bring more jobs and more residents downtown to make it just a, a little bit more vibrant um, it's very sensitive, and, and there's no uh, simple uh, solution solution to the challenge we have. But it was, was interesting the other night, though, at the committee meeting where a gentleman who's been living in downtown for a number of years, and he's lived in other places in the world, says that we shouldn't be scared of height. Uh, he's lived in a 50-story building, um, and, he, and he thought it worked just fine. And he says, do you want one you know, 26- or 27-story building uh, on that location, or do you want – uh, you know, three eight-story or nine-story buildings uh, elsewhere, which would take up a lot more land. Yeah, and you're so, going to get the same density. In other words, people that are right. concerned about, well, that's going to be an increase in traffic, or, uh, that's going to happen anyway. What is going to happen anyway, no matter what we build. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, re- recognizing, you know, we do have to recon- recognize the fact that um, the way Burlington is, we're not building any more new roads. Um, we don't have the capacity to build new roads. So we're not really going to be increasing the capacity for the automobile going forward other than some maj- maybe some right turn lanes at certain intersections in the city. And as we grow, and even if we grow just moderately, you know, from say 183,000 was the census number last year, mm-hmm. we grow to 220,000 people in the next 25 years, which is not crazy growth. Um, we don't have any more capacity in our road system. So we have to think differently. We have to build differently. We have to plan differently uh, than we've ever done before. And not only that, we have to recognize that Burlington is part of the greater Toronto-Hamilton area that will grow from 7 million people to 10 million people in the next 25 years and have corresponding job growth as well. So uh, we cannot 
we, we have to look through things now with very much an urban lens and less of a suburban lens. So how do you, how do you justify it and how do you come to grips with that? Uh, because I know what developers will say, and, and I know some people love to vilify developers, but I mean, they're people that invest in communities. They spend a lot of money. and They're partners, in, in, yeah, they're exactly. partners with us. Exactly. Right? Absolutely. And, and, and you want them to work within the parameters that you've set up. And we'll talk in a couple of minutes about, about the city's plan, et cetera. But I mean, they could get a couple of blocks down to Lakeshore and build a high rise, and, and that would be okay. And I, the argument they're going to come back is, well, why not this way? Why not a couple of blocks this way? Correct. You're going to have to do it eventually. Correct. So one of the things that a number of us at Kent Council mentioned the other night, because we weren't making a decision on the project on Monday night, mm-hmm. we were simply listening to the information and giving staff some, some input, is it is very difficult to consider this development by itself without understanding how it fits into the whole puzzle of downtown Burlington. So staff are coming back to us in September with a more detailed outline as far as a direction of the overall downtown. And, and the suggestion was that they will come back to us in October with some sort of recommendation around the application. So at least we'll have the, the big picture view before we have to de- de- you know, decide on the specifics of this development proposal. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML.